going on, people? I would like to welcome all of you to another Q11 edition of the Talk to Q Radio Show. My name is Quincy, and this is my show. And with the Q11s, what I like to do is interview people to expose my audience to new things. I talk to authors, entrepreneurs, entertainers, counselors, other podcasters, and sometimes just your everyday person who just has something to say about a particular topic. So it's an opportunity for you to get to know these people up and close and learn their story. What sparked the passion to choose a certain career or what inspired them to write that book? Or why is this person so opinionated about a particular topic? So just sit back and enjoy the show and please be encouraged to share. A lot of my guests, much like myself, kind of do their thing by word of mouth. So the more that you share, like or comment on a social media post, then the more you can help me grow the show. And it also gives more support to the people that I bring on the show who are looking to get their services, products, and talents out to the masses. So without further ado, let's get to the interview. What's going on, people? All right. I want to welcome all of you to another edition of the Talk to Q Radio Show, a Q on One edition. My name is Quincy, and this is my show. And, you know, women's rights have come a long way over the past couple of centuries, but they still have a ways to go in a lot of areas. I wanted to bring someone on to discuss the journey to help commemorate March being Women's History Month. So she is joining me from the United Kingdom and Wales. Please welcome back to the Talk to Q radio show, Miss Lauren Davies. Lauren, how's it going? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I am doing well. Thank you for coming on to the show. I appreciate you taking the time. This is earlier than I normally do shows, but we have a six hour time difference. <laughs> yeah. So we had to coordinate our schedules, but I'm glad we were able to work something out. That's All it. right. So you're one half of the Transatlantic History Ramblings podcast. And I've had you and your co-host Brian on the show before. But for my new fans, can you tell the people what your podcast is about? Um, well, we discuss a variety of history topics, and they don't always have to be uh, the the run of the mill history topics. We've had um, we've discussed Mash with uh, Loretta Swit and her work with animals. We've uh, sp- spoken to Dacre Stoker, who is uh, a descendant of Bram Stoker. We've had lots of lovely people on discussing a variety of topics. Basically, we're two nerds, and if you want to talk about it, we talk about it. But because we're our primary interest is history, then we focus on that. It's a lot of fun. And he's he's he is the most ill-behaved person ever. <laughs> <laughs> Brian is a character. He is, he is a character. He is so funny to me. I adore him, but some of the questions he's asked, like when we had Alison Weir, Alison Weir on, he asked, um, did Anne Boleyn have three breasts? And he really did. <laughs> like people Nothing. think he's joking. Yeah, and he's not. he did really do that. <laughs> Nothing is off limits, but well, this yeah. will be one podcast where you don't have to re- respond to any questions about if Pluto is a planet or not. Okay? Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you have a historical background um, yourself as far as your education is concerned? Um, not up until this year. Um, I've actually gone back to university and I'm studying a master's degree in um, medieval history. But uh, before then, it was film and English literature, which does have a historical element to it. So mainly um, the history was a hobby. So Okay. Now, the women's suffrage movement, let's start there, mm-hmm. uh, took about 
100 years in the U.S. before the 19th Amendment was ratified, giving women the right to vote. And in fact, women's voting rights, I think, just turned 100 years old here in the United States about sometime last year, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, that's right. And is that yes. movement, the women's suffrage, your favorite part of history? And if so, why? Um, it didn't used to be, but it is now. And it's just much more than the suffrage. I mean, this is going back in England um, to the 17th century when women were campaigning for equal education rights for women. Because uh, up until then, women didn't have very much of an education. If you were um, privileged, you, you were able to read English. But um, other than that, you wouldn't get much of a education and it and even into the 19th century and early 20th century if you had a professional qualification like you were a doctor or you were a lawyer you wouldn't be able to practice you could sit all the exams to get your qualification but you wouldn't be able to practice it's hard to even imagine a world like that now because we see women doing everything and so it's hard to imagine that what you had to overcome i guess over the the years and when you think about it yeah we're talking what, the 1800s when this started, but it's really not that long ago when you think about it in the terms of, of history. No, um, I mean, uh, even Mary Astle, she was writing about how women shouldn't be forced to be married and sold off as commodities um, back in the late 1600s. Um, and she had very strong views about that. And it was, you would have a dowry and then you would, your dowry would be given to your husband and you might not see the money again. So women were very, were in a situation where they weren't able to work, they got married and they, and whatever money they had, they had from their husband. And up until uh, legal reforms in, in the um, 18th and 19th century, women couldn't even own land. If a woman had a job outside mm. of a marriage, then the money... The, her wages went to her husband directly so it was very oppressive for women i mean they really they they couldn't even keep their own income which was it just seems bizarre and absolutely unthinkable today absolutely and you know we as americans are very ignorant to the struggles of other countries we just think that everything in history had happened here and that no one else went through anything and while women were struggling here in the states they were also experiencing some of the same struggles in the UK, am I correct? Yes, that's right. Um, some of uh, the American suffragettes, like Alice Paul, actually went to prison in the United Kingdom and went on hunger strike and uh, be became important figures to us. Uh, they were very well thought of by the Pankhursts, who were the leaders of the... Um, of, of the more militant side, there, there was an umbrella organization called the National Union of Women's Suffrage. And then all of the fragment groups would congregate under that umbrella. But the WSPU, the Women's, uh, Women's Social and Political Union, was the one that declared, you know, that they would start civil disobedience, throwing rocks through windows of Buckingham Palace and shop windows. And they used to... Um, they used to deputise the prime minister. They used to take working women in and explain to the prime minister how their life could be better if women were given these rights and given the right to vote. But it didn't start in the beginning with the right to vote. It was the right to education, the right to fairness in wages and um, the right to, and then it led to the right to vote. But even back when women started campaigning for the for better education, 
uh, not all men could vote. I mean, it was very restrictive about male suffrage as well. So it was only the what were the privileged that could vote and um, have have rights. And it's it's very it's very difficult to say that it was just women, but there were some men that weren't allowed to vote as well. It's always seemed like it's been a rich per, a rich man's game. Yes. As far as politics goes um, all over the world, like I said, it's not just here, but um, over there as well. Now, you've already mentioned a couple of names, but who were some of the key figures that led the movement? You know, like when we when we discuss um, Black History Month here in the United States, it's always a focus around Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks and some of the recent civil rights leaders. But there's never really a focus on some of the people who came before them, some of the um, the grassroots activists, so to speak. But so as far as women, key figures that led the women's suffrage move, movement, who are some names that we probably wouldn't know in mainstream? Um, well, I, I'm not quite sure how, um, how, um, how well you'd know Alice Paul, but she was definitely a, a very prominent figure in um, American suffrage movement for women and um, was and uh, and did campaign um in the uk for for um women's vote and went to prison she was um she was uh, and she did go on hunger strike there and she was forcibly fed uh, but i think the main ones would be the pethic lawrences which would have been um relations to the pankhursts and also what we don't um focus on is that one of the leading suffrage suffragettes was Richard was uh, Dr. Richard Pankhurst. He was a lawyer who fought for rights, not just women's rights, but men's rights too. He got um, a lot of laws changed and amended in parliament. Um, and he's also the, the father of suffragettes, you know, Christabel, Adela and Sylvia were his daughters and his wife was Emmeline Pankhurst. I think Adela Pankhurst as well is somebody that we do miss out on. She was a suffragette, but unfortunately her behavior was so difficult to deal with that her mother sent her to Australia in the end. She was too militant wow. for the militants, I think. <laughs> <laughs> she must so, have been something um, else. <laughs> Yeah, um, there is a lot of discussion about a sort of fringe group called the Young Hotheads, which Adela was um, apparently part of, and they were taking orders from other uh, prominent suffrage suffragettes. And um, the historian Dr. Fern Riddell, in her book um, "Death in Ten Minutes" on, on on the suffragette Kitty Marion, and that's somebody that Americans might know because she wasn't just a suffragette, but she used to campaign for. Um, birth control as well, you know, women's right to birth control. Um, and um, it, it's, it, it is horrific what these women went through for, for the vote and the fact that they were force fed and the fact that it had long-term effects on their health for uh, using the example of Kitty Marion. She was, she lost the ability to sing. She couldn't sing anymore because of the force feeding. Um, it is, it is alleged that it contributed to uh, the death of one woman um, who was uh, Emmeline Pankhurst's um, sister. She went into prison, was forcibly fed, released from prison, and her health didn't recover. And um, it's never, you know, um, you, you hear that nobody died from force feeding, that, this, that no suffragette died from force feeding. Well, that is true. Nobody suffered directly. 
at the uh, suffered death directly from force feeding, but mm -hmm. it did contribute to the decline in health. And yeah. um, you know, and what's interesting as well is that you see a lot of the papers describe um, the force feeding as medieval torture, which is not very fair on the medieval period. Uh, as someone who's a medievalist, <laughs> but also it's <laughs> why did I get that in there? But um, also it's. Um, the, the technique that they used was used in Russia, in Bolshevik Russia, to on Bolshevik prisoners. So it, it was something that we inherited and that we, we took on to deal with these people. And I mean, as well, when they were prisoners, they would they went on hunger strike, not as part of the protest for the votes, but the way that they were treated. I mean, they were treated the same way as women who, were, who had stolen, who were murderers. They weren't treated like political prisoners because political prisoners during that time would have been able to keep their own clothes, would have been able to have worn their own clothes, but they were humiliated. You know, they were subject to the same searches, the same methods of... Um, you know, record recording their um, it, them being prisoners. They were, you know, washed, hosed down. They were in check for lice, you know, and all these for women that came from, um, you know, they they weren't working class families. They were middle class and and higher class families. So, um, you know, they wouldn't have experienced things like that, and it would have been humiliating for them. And I think that's they did it on purpose, and that they did it to scare them as well. I think to make them stop doing it, but then it made them more determined to keep doing it because it was just another way that they were being mistreated and mishandled. So it was mm. sort of a it was a vicious cycle. Even the cat and mouse act was was, you know, they found ways out of that as well. They um, they'd starve themselves, become so ill, they'd get released from prison on the condition that they would come back when they were significantly better. And when they were able to be in prison again, and you can guess that didn't end well because they didn't do it; they just ran away. <laughs> so I would have. <laughs> so you have this network of women and some men, because there were men that were um, supportive of the suffrage movement as well, and they would help these women run away all over the country um, to get to stop being sent back to prison. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness this is what we're talking to 1800s here early 20th century yes so the government had this it was called the cat and wow. mouse act uh you know um and they were expected to return to prison when they're feeling better well nobody's gonna return to prison <laughs> <laughs> nobody's gonna surrender themselves and go back to prison <laughs> yeah i think you would have to catch me <laughs> <laughs> They didn't always catch them. That's the thing. They didn't always catch them. And it was, uh, I think some of them were pardoned during the First World War because they thought, oh, we've got much more on our plate now than dealing with these suffragettes. But um, some of them just went back to America. I think some of the American ladies that were arrested in the UK just, just thought, well, you know, I'm just going to go back home. <laughs> America's right. not going to me on that chart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. And I know um, as far as, I think it took, what, a better part of 100 years for Wales to finally get to the Representation of People Act in 1928. Yes. Uh, um, and this allowed women, married or not, over the age of 21 to vote on the same terms as men. And so, because I think at one point, a woman could only vote if she was married. Is that how it worked at first? 
Um, if she was married um, over 30 and owned her own property, so she could be unmarried, but she had to be of a certain age and she had to own a property or earn a certain amount. So even that was back in 1918 when the Representation of the People Act first came out yeah. and then it was amended to include all women. Um, the sad thing is, is that um, a lot of historians believe that it wasn't the suffrage movement that got women the vote. And they're possibly right. You know, after the First World War, all countries lost a great deal of men. We lost, you know, a generation, if not more, of men. And they um, had to had to have women to vote because, you know, there weren't very many voters left. So they decided to have married women and women that owned property or women that earned enough money. It was the same terms as men, you know, right at the back in the beginning of voting systems. Men had to be landowners. They had um, they had to be burgesses, which was serving on local councils. Um, so decisions were made by decision makers. So they, they already made decisions over people as employers or as landowners. So it, it really wasn't a fair system really yeah but you do have some interesting stories of women um refusing to pay tax because they didn't get the vote they like, well what if i can't have a um an opinion in my own country i'm not going to pay tax which is fair enough when you think about yeah, it you, yeah <laughs> i get that so i totally it, get that all right so here in the united states we now have our first female vice president yes. and so it's been what roughly since the 1920s where all of these amendments and things were and acts were ratified. So what strides has your country made in the past 100 years regarding women's inclusion in politics? Well, it started off with, um, everybody says uh, it was um, Lady Mary As um, Astor that was the first member of parliament. And that's true. She was the first sitting member of parliament for the Conservative Party. But there was also a woman that uh, won a parliamentary seat for the IRA party, but they, um, uh, I don't know if you know this in America, but they don't take up their seats in the UK parliament. They, they, they are elected members and they do have uh, MPs, but they don't take their seats. They, they don't attend um, Westminster in person. Um, so she didn't, she decided not to take up her seat as as is the tradition there. So we've had, you know, um, also it's, it's we've had two uh, female prime ministers, both conservative prime ministers, which is a bit of a shock to people because you would think that the first female uh, prime ministers would be liberal or labor. Mm -hmm. But no, uh, Margaret Thatcher and Theresa May uh, both conservative um, politicians. Um, so I think, you know, it's it's strange. And even Nancy Astor, Nancy Astor was a conservative as well. So you've got a, a funny um, a funny thing of conservatives being, um, you know, taking the stride in, in female um, leadership uh, in politics as well. And I mean, um, it was the Liberal and the Labour parties that the suffragettes had the most difficulty with. For example, um, Emmeline Pankhurst's husband, when he passed away, um, in his name, there was a lot of money raised for him, and they decided to build a hall for him. And um, But women couldn't enter that hall. So he'd spent all his life working towards uh, better rights for women in their marriages, uh, that they could keep their property, that they could keep their income, but 
his wife and his daughters couldn't enter into a building that was raised in his name. And the Labour Party also gave the Pankhursts money to educate the son, but not the daughters. So she had to make a terrible choice to stop educating, I think it was um, the younger daughters, uh, Estella and Sylvia. But I think Sylvia went abroad to study art. Um, and Sylvia is a very interesting figure as well in the suffrage movement, not just for suffragists, but for, and for um, the work that she did uh, with the ELF, uh, which was the East London suffragettes. And she um, she broke away from her mother and her sister because she felt that they were becoming more conservative, and that and uh, which was quite true. And they both uh, both Emmeline and Christabel stood for election as um, as members of the Conservative Party, but it was the women's division of the of the Conservative Party, and. And, you know, what is nice in that story there, in solidarity, the Conservative MP stood aside for them to be considered the, the candidates. Um, and she set up a network, not only working for um, women, but for men, too. She started uh, she was part of the group that started running the cost price kitchen, with, um, uh, which was a kitchen in Poplar in the East End of London where men and were working men and women could go and children could go and they could pay what they could afford. So any amount that they could afford and if they couldn't pay, that was fine as well. But they were treated to one hot meal a day. They would have a beginning, they'd have a starters, a main and a pudding. And that way she and the rest of the ELF knew that everybody that came to their kitchen was having at least one hot meal a day. Mm -hmm. uh, she also started a toy company as well, which, um, which they sold to Selfridges as well. And she created maternity hospitals and housing, affordable housing for people as well. She really helped elevate people onto property wow. ladders and get work as well. So while her, while the whole family worked for voting rights, Sylvia took that one step further and looked at equality on a, on a range of topics, not just for women, you know, her sort of, the way she thought was is if things are better for the men, then ultimately that makes things better for the women. Hmm. Okay. So, yeah. Wow. <laughs> and so what, what do you think are some of the hurdles that women still have to get over this day? I think the major hurdle is the way that some, the way that people view feminism, you know, it's viewed, a lot of feminists are viewed as aggressive. You're sort of um, dismissed, if you're a feminist and I think you know we need to look at that and understand that feminism while it is about the rights of women and creating safe space for all women um, it's also about making sure that everything is fair and everything is safe for everybody because you know we are half of the human race and we can't lift ourselves up if we're constantly um, putting down the other half of the human race and not all feminists do that and it's only a very small percentage that do. But I think we need to remember that we're all in this together, no matter whether we're male or female, where, you know, where, where we come from, our race, you know, whatever. It's just we need to look after each other more. And I think that is something that, you know, feminism does need to look at and see, you know, what sort of vibe are we giving off uh, to make people... Because there, there is a hostility towards the feminist movement at the moment. And I think we need to look at that. And I think that holds us back as well. 
as well, because with the way that people view um, feminism as well, you get these adjectives like bossy or difficult. And these women aren't bossy or difficult. They might be assertive but because they're equated with being a certain type of woman or a feminist, then they are getting these labels attached to them. Here in the States, the, the, Me, Too, the Me Too movement has really taken the country by storm. And it, every week it seems as if some prominent male figure is being accused of inappropriate conduct. Uh, is the Me Too movement strong in the UK? Yes, um, we have had protests in solidarity. And um, I think uh, it, it's it's always a surprise because it's sort of, you do get taken aback sometimes with the names that have come out uh, as being um, accused of these crimes. And I think... Um, Again, what we need to remember is that men can also suffer sexual harassment and um, attacks as well, and that we should be more inclusive of them. And not and while we are protesting it about it, we should be looking at ways to change the culture and change um, the way that some industries work, because the entertainment industry does seem a very uh, one of the main uh, factors in. The Me Too movement. And I think that if we look at the way that that culture works and what we can do to educate everybody, not, you know, everybody about how to stop these type of things and to understand that what you might think is the, you know, because some of these things are, aren't about um, the way that somebody behaves or somebody being attacked is about what somebody's saying. And we need to understand that, you know, while you may think it's appropriate in your mind to talk to a, whim, a woman sexually in a bar, you know, they might not want that. So it's a case of correcting behaviours everywhere rather than just protesting about it uh, and taking people to court. It's, it's looking at the, why these things are happening and how can we learn from them and how can we solve them together? Because sometimes these you know, these men who have been accused of something, you know, have just maybe had a bit too much alcohol and said something inappropriate, which is wrong. And, you know, if they can't can't behave or behave decently, they shouldn't drink too much in the first yeah. place. Um, but I, th I think, you know, the persecuting of these people is wrong. It's just sort of going, that was wrong. You know, I don't appreciate the way you're speaking to me. You know, I don't think you're a bad person, but please, you know, don't say that thing again but yeah. you know and and again we we need to be speaking up about these things because you know the if they you know there are going to be some people who think that if they can say these things then it is going to lead to doing things as well because that's that's the whole point and if you have because i know that in swansea there was this incident where this man went around on a on a bicycle and was smacking women on the behind and um mm. he said he was doing it for a political protest but he did it to some teenage girls who happened to look older than they were and they were actually underage. And he said it was a political protest. And he's like, well, you know, no, not, I don't know about this, I might be wrong, but no woman that I know of has protested me too by smacking men on the, on the backside. You know, and it's just kind of like these actions can escalate. And if nobody tells you that they're inappropriate and he was quite rightly, he did quite rightly end up in court. Um, but if, if nobody tells you that your behavior is wrong, then you're just going to escalate until you do something right. so reprehensible that nobody can, you're going to end up in prison. Yeah. Yeah. And we have a lot of line crossers <laughs> in the world, people <laughs> who are going to push the envelope, push the envelope 
and you know and like you say it takes that communication to uh let yeah. them know that hey this is not okay all right so we'll get ready to wrap things up and where can people find the transatlantic history ramblers podcast and how can they connect with you on social media um they can connect to transatlantic history ramblings on um facebook at history ramblings with lauren and brian um we also have an email but i can't remember how it goes <laughs> properly i'm so sorry but i'm on facebook and lauren davis um i'm also on twitter i've put my twitter handle there if you'd like to connect and there anything um and uh our podcast is on spotify it's everywhere that you can listen to podcasts okay and it is a very entertaining as well as educational podcast i will say that and I mean, let, let the people know some of the interesting people that you and Brian have interviewed on your show. We've had Houdini um, historian John Cox. Uh, he's come back a few times as well. Um, he did a Halloween episode with us as well, which is fantastic. We've had Dacre Stoker, um, descendant of Bram Stoker. Bram Stoker was his great uncle. Um, we've had Loretta Swit. Yeah, uh, Loretta Swit was fantastic. It was just so amazing. Um, we've... Uh, we've had uh, Professor Lawrence Krauss on as well. That was interesting. That was very surreal. Um, we only had 20 minutes of his time, but it was uh, it was fantastic 20 minutes. Um, uh, we've just had, we've had um, directors on, filmmakers. It's just fantastic who we've been able to get. We had um, Aaron Ra on. That was interesting to learn about, more about um, religion in the, in the US. That was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just been fantastic who we've been able to um get on the podcast yeah you've had really good guests and and these are people who are such such experts in certain fields and they can really just drill down and give you information that you may not get just through your typical school work or something of that nature mm -hmm. i did enjoy loretta Swit. that was a great interview yeah I, I was i wasn't a mash fan growing up but i recognize its importance in tv pop culture history so i thought that was a great interview i enjoyed timothy green beckley he was amazing talking about ufos and his experiences yeah. and dr philip curie discussing dinosaurs i mean this guy <laughs> is the guy that they based the character from jurassic park on and he's they on did. your show and i mean yeah. that's that's amazing so i think you guys do a great job of getting guests and the conversations that you have are really good it almost sounds like you all have known each other for years so i i think mm -hmm. you do a good job interacting with them and I encourage everyone to go listen to your show. Thank you very much. Well, Lauren, thank you for coming on and taking time to do this Q on one edition of the Talk to Q radio show to discuss celebrating Women's History Month. And so how how would you like to see it celebrated, I guess? Or or let's see, how do I want to word this? I, I guess just leave the people with some parting words as far as what maybe women's history means to you and why it should be important to everyone it should be important because the ideas that the suffragettes were discussing um started with started with medieval writers like christine de pizan and it's important to see that they've always been there that and they haven't gone away completely and it's something that we need to keep an eye on and make sure that we're raising all our sisters our all our sisters up and making sure that no woman goes without or that and that all women are being looked after and I think that's what the uh, message I have for everybody this history month is this woman's history month is to take care of each other and to make sure that women are safe everywhere 
And that sounds like a great message to me. And again, thank you for appearing on the show. I hope we can do this again in the future and uh, get your, your co-host to join you once again. <laughs> <laughs> and we can discuss if Pluto really is a planet. No, we won't discuss that. We won't discuss that. <laughs> Apparently it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave that to Brian. Only only he can can, can do that. Yeah. <laughs> so all right. And he mentioned and listened to the Nellie Bly episode. Oh, True yes. Hero Women's History. We okay. we have we we had author uh oh he's too shy to come on, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> we had uh author David Blix come on and he has um he has found Nellie Bly's lost novels and he has created some lovely editions which are going to be available I think next week uh, to buy via Kindle and paperback copy on Amazon and that's going to be fantastic. All right again I want to thank all of you for joining the show it's truly been a pleasure to speak with Lauren and for all of you to listen or watch however if you're watching on Facebook or YouTube. I appreciate it. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple or wherever you get the podcast, that's great. Now, you can follow me on all things media at talk to q Please follow me on Instagram, especially at Talk2Q. Go to TalkToQ.com if you want to sign up for the email newsletter and be updated on future shows, as well as being able to check out the calendar there of upcoming appearances. Um, so, I want to wish you all a happy Sunday and happy Women's History Month. Take care. <laughs>